Shadow Life, The Roman Files, Season 3, Episode 7, The Mentor. Slowly walking down the aisle, slowly walking down the aisle, Roman lifted his head to peer into the open casket that sat at the end of the viewing room of the funeral home. The small elderly man had lived well into his 90s, which was unbelievable as it was true. Even when he was alive, the man was barely five feet tall, and when Roman gazed upon his old mentor, he looked even smaller still. He was shriveled like a dried-out prune, just the size of a boy. But that wispy old man's hair and those folded, wrinkled hands told a different story. A cross was pinned to the inner lining of the coffin. What a joke, Roman thought. For he knew his friend only believed in one thing. One day you're alive, the next you're dead. And that's just all, and that's just all there was to it. Roman couldn't imagine how the old man died naturally in his sleep. Like he didn't have a care in the world, but God damned if he didn't. Roman recalled one of his most favorite sayings, that he'd rather be lucky than smart. And to think that Marshall Calfano would get to die a natural death is pretty fucking lucky. Because in life, Roman's elderly mentor was said to favor the shotgun and the car bomb as one of the most notorious hitmen in the history of the Chicago outfit. Calfano arrived in Chicago back in the 1920s and was brought to the attention of Paul Rica, the real boss. The low-key Rica was extremely smart. He had everybody in his pocket, cops on the take, politicians and judges on the payroll, just to make sure of things and killers to make sure things got taken care of. They're not your typical gangster stereotypes everyone sees on TV or at the movies. No, these are the real deal. Unassuming, soft-spoken, not the big tough guys you might see along Rush Street on Friday nights. These guys are normally small in stature, unassuming. They favor the shadows, and most importantly, they step as lightly as a cat in an alley. Then and now, it's the small guys that do what the FBI calls the heavy work. Calfano and his pal Vincent the Saint were both small men, soft-spoken, and appeared as harmless as a house cat if he didn't know any better. This was a guy who was one of the original Anthony Accardo confidants, said Jim Wagner, the former chief of the FBI's organized crime unit. He was a close friend of Tony's, doing as much heavy work as Accardo or Sam Giacano, or anybody for that matter. In the late 1940s, Calfano was sent to Los Angeles around the time Ben Bugsy Siegel was building Las Vegas into a gambling mecca. Gus Russo's book about the Chicago outfit, properly titled The Outfit, 
stated that Siegel was at his Beverly Hills home with a Calfano associate, Alan Smiley, when another man walked through the patio door and shot Bugsy twice in the head and two in the chest. Twenty minutes later, Gus Greenbaum, the outfit's accountant, arrived at Siegel's hotel in Vegas and announced, We're taking over. Hollywood movies like The Godfather make it appear as if New York gangsters finish Siegel, but then Chicago has a Hollywood reach, and Hollywood never made a movie about Paul Rica. In 1943, Calfano's friend, Nick Cercella, faced an extortion trial. According to the newspapers, there was a witness that was about to cooperate with federal prosecutors. Then a burned, battered, and ice-picked body was later found, and the prosecution's star witness had vanished. Calfano was a prime suspect, but the case was never solved. He was also suspected in many other unsolved killings, including the 1950s slaying of former Chicago Police Lieutenant William Drury, the 1952 strangulation of mobster Russian Willie Strauss, and then the 1973 shotgun killing a disgraced police officer in a sandwich shop on West Grand Avenue. Back in the 1950s, the outfit moved in on the street lottery and tried to kidnap street gang king Theo Rowe, but Calfano's brother was killed during the botched kidnapping attempt. Rowe pleaded self-defense. A year later, Rowe was murdered by two men with shotguns. Calfano and Gicano were never charged. In 1964, though, Calfano was convicted of trying to extort $60,000 from an Indiana oilman by the name of Ray Ryan, who had foolishly testified against him. When Calfano was released from prison in the 1970s, Ryan wanted to pay him $1 million in restitution, sort of make up for all the time he had done. According to federal authorities, Calfano told street Calfano told the street boss Joey Lombardo, "Let's just take the million and kill him anyway." On October 18, 1977, Ryan walked out of the Evansville Health Spa and climbed into his Lincoln Continental, turned the key in the ignition, and in a mere microsecond. The electrical current flowed from the starter down to the blasting cap attached to three sticks of dynamite taped to the car's catalytic converter. Ray never felt a thing. The compression pulsated through his body, a shockwave of unleashed power of Einstein's famous equation E equals MC squared. Ray Ryan had punched his ticket. Calfano was questioned by authorities but never charged. He had an airtight alibi. The cops hadn't paid much attention to the young kid hanging in the back of the crowd of onlookers. Just a fair-haired, all-American looking kid, small, unassuming, staring out from the shadows, watching. 
Then a few years later, the reputed Chicago Mafia associate Joseph Testa, age 53, who had escaped three previous bomb attacks, authorities suspected Calfano was involved due to the fact that Calfano alleged Testa owed him $2 million. But Testa didn't see it that way. Regardless, on a hot, humid day in July of 1981, the debt was paid. As the red ball South Florida sun glared off the windshield of Testa's car as he pulled out of the parking space at the Tamarack Country Club in Oakland Park, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Testa's car exploded into a fireball. The bomb squad said it was most likely a remote-controlled type bomb. The bomb squad said it was most likely a remote-controlled device type bomb planted under the driver's side of the car. Testa was thrown a hundred feet into the air. His right leg and part of his right arm were blown off. It took him two days to die in the hospital. The case was never solved, but police theorized the killing was mob-related. Federal prosecutors believe Calfano planned it from his prison cell. 1977, Evansville, Little Chicago. There's a newspaper article from the Evansville Courier Times. What many residents old enough to remember on that fall day on October 18, 1977. They'll recall is the day our sheltered city experienced its brush with the mob. A car bomb exploded outside of Olympia Health Spa on Bellmead Avenue just east of Green River Road shortly after 1 p.m., damaging a nearby apartment building, hurling debris nearly a football field away, knocking out power on the southeast side of town and killing the Lincoln Continental Mark IV's occupant, local oilman, Ray Ryan. Ryan, described by some as a larger-than-life character, traveled often and lived the lifestyle of the rich and deceptive. The former earning him friendships with some of Hollywood's greatest star power of the day. Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, and the latter connecting him with the gangsters such as Frank Costello and Frank Erickson. These relationships were further strengthened through his partnership with actor William Holden to develop the Mount Kenya Safari Club in East Africa, a playground for the rich and famous and high-ranking members of organized crime. It's true. Marshal Calfano was convicted of extorting $60,000 from Ryan. It's true. Ray Ryan testified against Calfano. And it's even true that the court's conviction was upheld in 1966 and Calfano was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He was paroled 
in the 1970s with one thought on his mind. Who the fuck did Ray Ryan think he was? While Roman met Calfano while working on his grandfather's horse farm in Georgetown, Kentucky. Well, maybe not exactly his pop-op's farm, but it was a thoroughbred racing horse farm that his pop-op managed for a wealthy gentleman from Chicago. Marshall Calfano loved being in Kentucky. He especially loved all things that had to do with gambling and most of all, horse racing. And as it turned out, he also happened to be a high-ranking member of the Chicago outfit. Well, Roman was enthralled and hung on the older man's every word. The stories Calfano told Roman while they watched the horses train, while they watched Roman's grandfather trained the horses. Another immigrant from the old country as well. Calfano told Roman all about what it was like in the heyday of Vegas. Roman had never seen, but on Roman had never been to Vegas, but had only seen images on TV. But that was enough. The images bloomed in his mind. The images bloomed in his young, fertile mind of the glory days of the mob. Roman recalled having posters on his wall of his bedroom. Roman recalled having posters on his bedroom wall of mafia boss Al Capone, gangster John Dillinger, babyface Nelson. Other kids might have had David Cassidy, that very famous Farrah Fawcett poster, even Led Zeppelin or Styx, concert tours on their walls. Not that there was anything wrong with that. Not that there was anything wrong with having that Farrah poster on your wall. How many teenage boys, how many teenage boys had their first brush with sex? with old Farah. To be noted, Calfano changed his name to John Marshall when he moved to Las Vegas, where he was the outfit's representative, or capo, over, the, over that area. During the mid-1920s, Calfano joined the 42 Gang a Chicago street gang with future outfit members like Salvatore Momo Giacano. By 1929, Calfano's rap sheet included convictions for burglary, extortion, larceny, and interstate fraud. As he matured, Calfano followed the other 42 gang members into the outfit, which was run by the legendary mob boss, Al Capone. Calfano was suspected in about 10 unsolved homicides, including those of disgraced Cook County Sheriff's investigator and suspected outfit informant, and also oil tycoon Raymond J. Ryan. 
following the death of his brother, Fat Lenny Calfano, in 1951, Calfano was made overseer of mob-controlled casinos in Vegas. Now, Calfano's wife, Darlene, who was, who was raised just outside of Louisville, Kentucky, a good old bluegrass Kentucky girl, she was so sweet with Roman. Roman adored her, and especially her peanut butter cookies, her homemade peanut butter cookies. It's rumored that Calfano traded his blonde-haired bombshell wife to the godfather of the Chicago mob, Sam Giacano, a childhood friend of Calfano's, for the Don chair in Vegas. But Roman's not 100% sure. He thinks that might just be locker room talk. Calfano is credited with more than 10 mafia slains during this time. Now for the rest of the story. Calfano was intrigued by this kid who appeared as a fresh-faced, all-American boy who would be better suited playing baseball, not hanging out with an old gangster like himself. But the kid was relentless. I mean, fucking relentless. He absorbed every word like it was the juiciest bite of a steak. Calfano and Roman's pop-pop spoke about Roman's situation, why he was living with them during the summer and working, working the farm. Evidently, the police were looking for Roman for a string, were looking at Roman for a string of burglaries and robberies throughout the tri-state area. Calfano had even heard the kid had stolen a dirt bike and rode the damn thing through the halls of his junior high. Roman's pop-up had shared a few bits of Roman's past as well with Calfano. The trouble he had had being in school, the trouble he had had in school being dyslexic. <clears throat> See, I can barely read. I couldn't write, I couldn't read. Being the son of an out-of-the-closet gay man in the 1970s small Midwestern town full of narrow-minded folks that liked a heaping spoonful of prejudice that preferred a heaping spoonful of prejudice with their roast beef and Jesus gravy. Amen. No, life hadn't been easy for Roman, and every now and then, it just flat out reared up and kicked the ever-living shit out of him. Just reared up and kicked the ever-living shit out of him. Pop-Pop told Calfano about the time Roman was probably in the 7th or 8th grade. He couldn't remember exactly. But how he'd been set upon by an escaped mental patient. No shit, Pop-Pop said. A goddamn bona fide mental patient had escaped a psych ward. Some ex-army vet suffering from PTSD or some shit. Maybe he'd already been fucked in the head before Nam. Who knows? But anyway, this vet comes back home and starts smacking his wife and kids around. You know, just the sort of low-level crap, low-key crap cops don't want any part of, right? Well, this old vet, this ex-army vet's got a son, Roman's age. They go to school, hang out, everything. 
One day, Roman and a couple of his buddies were fucking around in front of this ex-army vet's house, and little did anyone know he had slipped a restraining order and was hiding out inside. The vet's son didn't even, didn't even know his old man was inside. So a few of the boys go in for something to drink, snacks, get the munchies, whatever. You know how kids are. The vet bum, the vet bum rushed them and picks out Roman as the center of his attention. You know, starts slapping him around. One thing leads to another, and it turns into a full-on brawl. I mean, blood gets spilled. Knives come out, baseball bats the whole nine yards. Roman gets pretty messed up. Roman gets messed up pretty good. The cops get involved. The guy goes back into the nut house. Just everything goes sideways. Roman's parents, my daughter, and her husband, they were going through a divorce. School's a living hell for the kid. Where was he going to turn? So me and his grandma take him in and try to keep him out of trouble. I think he's a good kid at heart, but there's something else, something dark in him. So much anger inside that poor kid. Sometimes he just seems to be drowning in it. An ocean of anger at what life has dealt him so far. We do what we can, but just saying, kids got issues. Fucking hell, Calfano thought. This kid's seen more hard times than most men he knows. And he's only 14. Calfano and Roman spent weeks in each other's companies. Together, talking about the outfit, playing checkers, swapping war stories from their childhood. Roman had even shared with his new mentor figure. Roman had even shared with Calfano, his newly minted mentor figure. That's stupid. Roman had even shared what his relationship was like with his new mentor figure with his father. Calfano had the first inkling of an idea that the kid might be just what he needed at that precise moment in his life. The perfect instrument to deliver a white-hot serving of revenge. The plan was beginning to form how he might be able to show the kid the ropes, teach him some life lessons, and give him an outlet for all that anger he was drowning in. Yeah, yes indeed, it was all beginning to come together. Calfano snapped out of his daydream and looked over at the kid wearing him out again on a game of checkers. Hey kid, Calfano spoke softly. Calfano spoke softly. Hey kid. What do you know about dynamite?
you for listening to Shadow Life, The Roman Files. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please consider clicking on the Support the Show button and make a small donation. A portion of the proceeds will go to those in need of mental health services like the Trevor Project and Brain and Behavioral Research Foundation.